So I'm going to invite you to, uh, to continue to drop into the energy of the heart. And um, at our meditation this morning and at the first service, and I'm going to repeat it right now with you, is I'm going to guide you in a little bit of heart math. Heart math is a process of tapping into the energetics of the heart and, and uh, living from that. It's a beautiful tie-in for the, uh, the material I want to share with you today. Uh, Dr. Ernest Holmes in Living the Science of Mind talks, uh, is, the title is God Speaks to the Heart. And with that, what I'd like to do is, as well as we move into that uh, uh, silence before we go, I'm going to read the names of the, the crash victims uh, at the Humboldt tragedy. And also that um, when we open our hearts, it's not just for them that, that have lost their lives, they're no longer with us. Of course, they are with us in spirit, but also for their families. You know, I think it's important for us to speak to this. It's important for us uh, it's important for us to be able to stand in the pain together as well as the joy. And so I think it uh, how do we how do we process this? How do we hold this? And so I want to share some thoughts about that with you today. But I think the, the most important thing we can do is, um, is you, you bring to this the, the best of ourselves. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about heart math. It's just a few paragraphs here that are very short and simple instruction. I'm going to invite you to drop into your hearts. And when we're, we've dropped into the hearts, um, I'll read the names of uh, the victims that I have. 15 boys and one, one young lady, and of course many people still in the hospital. And um, um, it's one of the, the most important things I think we can do right now. And then we will uh, offer the, the best of ourselves in prayer as well, in the silence. So Heart Math, to begin with, is a nonprofit research organization based in Boulder Creek, California. And HeartMath has studied how emotions affect performance, mental clarity, decision-making skills, and overall health. As a result of their findings, they have developed an advanced inner technology called the HeartMath system. And one of those systems is called Quick Coherence. Quick Coherence. And this comes from actually the training and the, the, those of you that have gone through the Q process, it's one of the pages I'm reading from the workbook right now that everyone that's been through it um, has. And so if you're inspired to look at that and use this. But this is a practice that's recommended for all of us when we're doing a cue sheet to drop into our hearts. And as it's suggested here, it invites us to shift out of our heads and focus on the area around your heart. So I'd invite you to, just if you're comfortable closing your eyes, and just shift out of your head into that heart space. Imagine that you're breathing through your heart, if that works for you. To breathe in for a count of five and breathe out for a count of five. And then it asks us to re recall a positive time or feeling that you've had in your life. So as you breathe in on five and breathe out on five, I invite you to recall a positive experience that you've had in your life where you feel deep appreciation for something or someone and attempt to re-experience it. Remember to try not to visualize it, but rather to feel it fully.
So we can feel the energy shift in the room. It's beautiful. Thank you for your willingness. It's done in the twinkling of an eye. It becomes a sacred space. I'm going to share with you the, the names of 15 young men and one young woman that are no longer with us in form but are with us in spirit. As I read these names and we're in the silence, I will, uh, and then I'll sound our, our, our gong to signal our 30 seconds of silence. Parker Tobin, Jacob Liked, Stephen Wack, Evan Thomas, Logan Schatz, Jackson Joseph, Connor Lucan, Logan Hunter, Brody Hines, Adam Harold, Darcy Hagen, Glenn Dorsick, Mark Gross, Logan Boulay, Tyler Bieber, and the young lady in the group, Dana Bronze. So as we speak their name, we capture some of their energy. Thank you for continuing to nurture an open heart as I sound our gong. Move into our 30 seconds of silence. enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So I invite you to know and affirm this with me, allowing my words to be your words. And if they're not a good fit, don't make them a distraction, because your heart knows. But knowing as we, we come together in this fullness of our, our expanding heart and breathing from the heart, as Dr. Holmes so beautifully articulated, God speaks to the heart. And I say yes to that because that is so true for me as well. It's one of the things that has called me to this tradition and to know that God is a present moment experience. And so in this affirming and knowing, I invite you to enter into that as we open our hearts here in compassion and support and love for our brothers and sisters that are suffering. And anyone that comes to mind, let us know that this container of love that we represent collectively here is filled, pressed down and overflowing with love, compassion, support for the world, for a world that is ignorant of their divinity, for a world that thinks that fear is a way of life, that lack is a way to live, that oppression 
judgment, shame, and guilt are ways that we operate at our fullest, and we know right here and right now. In the fullness of this, in the awareness of this, in the clarity of this moment, that these are just simply ideas, nothing more. And our opportunity is to direct our energy, our thinking, and our way of being in a direction that is consistent with the truth of our being. And so I just give thanks this day knowing that our love, our prayers continue to circulate and vibrate at a level and a frequency that wherever they are called for, wherever there's a receptivity to that frequency of love and life, it is made generously available. And that we are not generating it, we are the portal for which it passes. We are not the healer but there's a healing energy that finds its way through us. So what we know for another, we experience for ourselves. And I'm so grateful to know that this guides me and informs me. So in great gratitude and appreciation, I give thanks and invite you to stay with me. And so it is. All righty, thanks for doing that with me. Because it's really sad. And we we need to, to have the wherewithal and the wholeness to stand in the sadness and the sorrow of life without allowing it to crush us. And what is mine to do? I continue to ask that question. What is mine to do with all this? And so this is one of the things that came alive for me was I'm talking about God Speaks to the Heart. I've got the heart math program that I'm working with, going through the training. So the more I can breathe from my heart, I know that it expands. And there's research, there's phenomenal research right now. We are so blessed on this planet to know that this research is, is this incredible to inform us and know this isn't just fantasy that we're living in. We are mighty moving presence of the, the presence of the divine, Father, Mother, God. And, and the more that we live from that, which is what Dr. Holmes did. So I want to read you something about him. If you don't know Dr. Ernest Holmes very well, there's a wonderful book called His Life and Times, and it was written by his brother Fenwick. And, and Dr. Holmes was the youngest of nine boys, so Mrs. Holmes didn't want to I guess she felt like there was enough feminine energy and he was, she was going to do her job to fulfill the male energy at some level or capacity. I don't know what was going on there, but nine boys is an awful lot. But what, he, what, what influenced him, he was not formally educated. He, he was self-taught. And uh, it's okay. The first, it's her first service and she's just, it's beautiful. So we make whatever little noises she makes become part of our service. I had, I had my first heckler at the first service. You guys missed it. Anybody here for that? Wow, that was exciting. Wow. He was mad because I didn't say Jesus Christ enough. So it was really great because I got to tell him how we approached Jesus. He was in the back there yelling at me and I was yelling at him and then I walked back to talk to him. It was great. I didn't know how that was going to go. It was perfect. It's always perfect. Listen, everybody's welcome here. I mean, like three guys got up and I thought they were going to throw them out. I said, no, no. You know, we got a banner. Everybody's, well, we used to have a banner. Everybody's welcome here. (laughs) I guess we took it down. (laughs) Somebody should have told me. But, you know, it's such an example of how we become, we become, and it's not a criticism, but how, I do the same thing, how we can become entrenched in how it's always got to look and sound, and it's my way or the highway. And you know, all the stories and this stuff, do you think a loving God that is not a man and is not a woman, it's both male and female, do you think a loving God with all of the great teaching that Jesus Christ, will you say Jesus of Nazareth, great teacher, 
great example, but not the great ex- exception, would, would support some of these ideas that we, we transition out of this body and then we go to a place called limbo or the bardo. And there's probably some truth to that in the sense of, of like, you know, sometimes we have to wait in the waiting room sometimes because there's procedure that needs to get done. There may be some, some cleanup that needs to get done. But, but to then be sent to or immediately go to a place where you'll burn for eternity? You know, for me, even as a five-year-old in, in a very traditional uh, environment, I thought, this can't be. This just can't be. So, anyway, but, but there's, for many people, the rules and the regulations are, are very much what we're about. And for us, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to walk this path, isn't it? Because we're asked to always be wise and compassionate and loving, even when we're confronted with people that aren't wise and compassionate and unloving and just want to confront that's the hardest. You know, in the, the, the Q training um, that I'm going through right now, one of the things that came up for me this week is that the only way you get good at the Q training is you've got to get triggered a lot. I'm like, go figure. I'm in the perfect environment for this. This is awesome. Thank you, God. And I, that guy almost triggered me. You know, as the Dalai Lama said, I almost forgot and started hating the Chinese. And as I'm walking back to talk to this fella, because it was impossible to continue while he was yelling at me, uh, I thought, boy, this is an opportunity. He just got done talking about triggers. Well, here we go. <laughs> so anyway, th- but the beautiful thing is I just adore, I just adore the more and more I, I, I study Dr. Holmes. So his brother wrote this about Ernest conceiving this great idea. This is, the, this is our founder. <clears throat> it is. He was like a mountain climber, alone among unfamiliar peaks. Everything was new to him. He knew smatteringly, smatteringly of psychology and philosophy, only a little of psychic phenomena, nothing of mysticism, and had little real knowledge of religion beyond Christianity when he began his adventure into the unknown. So the beautiful thing was, the gift he had was he wasn't biased by a tradition. He was, he was self-educated, and he, he looked at the world with wonder. They called him the, the walking question mark. He, and the whole family, here was Ernest, the youngest, always asking questions, why? You know, and, and his mother always would answer them, and it was always a teachable moment. You know, there was, no, there was no punishment or shame or guilt that went on in this family, which I think is a huge way to, a culture of possibility. And so there was no stick. There wasn't a literal stick either. It was always an opportunity to educate. So what a brilliant woman his mother was. So far as he knew, he was the first person to conceive of this idea. It was his very ignorance of traditional philosophies of religion that was to be his greatest asset. What he didn't know was his greatest asset. For he approached the whole subject from the original point of view that was to distinguish his career. So he never had that that bias. And so this is part of the foundational piece because I always say, how did he think like this? Well, he started from a whole different starting point. And so, uh, you know, this book is full of wonderful insights and, and, and little clues as to what brought us together. So I'm so grateful that, to, to be part of this. And I want to... Uh... Oh, before I get going here, I forgot to do my cue card, since that's part of my homework. So let me just get my, my uh, ducks in a row here, as they say. And I'm going to invite you to partner with me so if you have your cue card, and I get up every day and read my cue card. So here's how cue card goes. You get up, you have a cue card. If you don't have a cue card, we'll get you a cue card, and there's no hurry. Just draft along with the energy in the room. Plenty of people here doing the cue process. Please have compassion for me when I show up as who I am not. 
which I, and so I did a little survey and came up with these words. When I show up as undeserving, rejected, flawed, fearful, hopeless, and in lack. Because that's not who I've come here to be. See, you and I get to choose who we've come here to be. That's a beautiful thing. And it doesn't matter what happened before. Because this is who I've come here to be. I've come here to be love, wisdom, joyful, coherent, which means oneness to me, which means connected, unbroken connection. No duality. There's no devil and Jesus and God and all that stuff. It's just life. And all those stories and all those narratives are important and we honor them. But they can become a limitation when all of a sudden we hold them too tightly. Wholeness, creative and abundant. So would you support me in that today? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good. I'm ready to go now. So three things I wanted to talk about uh, today uh, briefly. Number one is learning a new language. Number two is breaking, breakdown to breakthrough. Which, which is inspired by Derek Rydell's book, uh, Emergence, and the practice of the one-minute mystic. And so there's a number of practices that he articulates. So the first part is inspired by Dr. Ernest Holmes, uh, Living the Science of Mind, and the second part. And so, the, so for those of you that have been staying for two, two talks, we're only doing one talk because we've, we've experimented with it and we realize that it's not fulfilling the, reason, the purpose for doing it, and, uh, and so we've just decided that we are going to continue to move forward in a way that, because people say to me, I can't stay for the second talk, and on this and that. So anyway, and they turn into two different talks anyway. So uh, whether I head in that direction or not, because I didn't get a chance to share with the people at the first one about the heckler. So you got to hear about the heckler now. So <laughs> see how it works? It's all good. So anyway, Dr. Holmes said this, while we admire the intellect, we must realize that the intellect is not the creative factor in the universe. Rather, it is feeling that is creative. It's the feeling that's creative. God speaks to the heart through a language of feeling, a feeling which is affirmative. So the language of the infinite is always affirmative, and I agree with that. When we get spinning in a negativity and, and feeling in lack and feeling victimized, that's just our egoic nature creating a story. Because, so what, how do we know that we're connected to this infinite source? Well, there's a, there's a lightness about it. There's a peace. There's a joy. Possibility, opportunity, infinite, infinite possibility. So the best, Dr. Holmes continues, the best psychological balance is between the intellect and the heart because the intellect can give a certain definite form to feeling. But unless the feeling is there, the intellect will have merely provided the empty mold. We want not only to feel but to think. We wish not only to think but also to feel. So in other words, anybody here feel more than they think more? Anybody? Yeah. So what happens is, Dr. Kennedy Schultz said this years ago, I was at a conference with him, he said, love makes the world go round, but the law keeps us from getting dizzy. And I've thought about that so many times because what happens when we're, we're in the throes of our feeling nature and we stop thinking, we can just spin in our emotions forever. And, that, and that, those emotions can become trapped energy. So it's our opportunity to, to tap into the infinite divine intelligence as well as the feeling. And so question, asking questions is really important. What's mine to do here? What's mine to know here? I mean, we, and I know that many people have talked to, just to pull up this example of the Humboldt bus uh, crash, that hockey team. It's very, very easy for us to simply land there in, in sorrow and sadness. And I've cried about it as well. It's so sad, you know, to hear about that and to watch the the things that have happened, there's a sorrow in that, there's a sadness. That are dreams that will never be fulfilled. 
You know, it's, a, it's an energy that we will never see upon the planet. And that's very sad. But the other part of it is, then what's mine to do with this? How can I, how can I take this experience? How can I be a resource of something other than simply the sorrow? And that requires a bit of... So the, the intellect will help create the, the, the spiritual prototype. How can I use this as inspiration in my life? How can I be a presence of, of compassion and love and understanding? And I may not be able there to hug those people, but maybe I can hug somebody in my immediate environment that I know could use a hug. So I don't know, guys, but, you know, but, but it's for us just to not stay trapped in the, in, the, in the feelings alone, but it's important to have the fullness of the feelings. And, and, and when we're not victim to our emotions, we can go there because we know we're not going to stay there. I mean, that is spiritual practice to feel the fullness of sorrow and disappointment and heartbreak and not make it a way of life. But the, the, and this is wholeness, that we can stand in the light in the dark and still, still bring our best to the world. Dr. Uh, Dr. Um, Joseph Campbell, wonderful uh, cultural and spiritual archaeologist, brilliant man, used to say, the, uh, the, the goal is to be able to stand in the sorrow of life in joy. The Buddha said life is suffering. Look at the world. Buddha knew what he was talking about. But the Buddha didn't say we all have to suffer. When we look at one another and we see the suffering and we can stand grounded in the truth of our being and go, man, I have nothing but compassion for you. I have such, and, and I can look at the world and, and when, I, when I see, when I read the paper now, when I look at the internet now, when I watch the news now, it's always a call for prayer. Because God is everywhere present. This infinite presence, God, spirit, source, life, is everywhere present. And so it will find its way into the world in the ways that are most appropriate. I mean, this young boy, um, Logan Boulay, somebody shared with me at this first service how that young boy's organs have saved lives already. And so I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm not putting any judgment on it, but I'm looking for the grace in it. I'm looking for the beauty in it. I'm looking for the things. And, and, and you know, little girl, and I was standing with a, boy, a little boy and a little girl, young, young uh, children, and they were talking about their hockey team, and she's on a swim team, and they're concerned about the, the bus ride that they're going to be taking to go to their swim meet and go to their hockey games. And I said, well, that's a real concern. But I said, I'll tell you this, I think that the bus drivers are going to be very attentive. And I'm known for you that you are on the right bus in the right place all the time. So, I, it, but it's, it's, it's natural to be concerned and to be scared. And how can we offer wisdom and insight so that those children don't stay trapped in their fear as well? So, be certain then, as Dr. Holmes said, that in all your work you continue this subtle essence with the conscious word until the two become one, until the intellect and the heart become one. This is the art and the practice of affirmative prayer. So this is why it takes a practitioner two and a half years to, to start to get their traction with their prayer work. He says as a practitioner, and he believed everyone should be a practitioner. Everyone should know affirmative prayer. As a practitioner, you will put these qualities together until they fuse into one, and then the head will speak through the heart, and the heart will feel through the intellect. This, we believe, is psychological wholeness. Can you imagine what the world would look like if... if 
if a small group of committed individuals lived from that, and that's our opportunity. And I think more and more, we're closer now than we ever have been, despite what it looks like. I was watching something about the U.S. the other day, and they were talking about this stuff. I mean, is this president not the most exciting guy that we've ever had on the planet? I mean, it's just one thing after another. I just, it's like I get wore out after a while. It's like, really? Wow. And so when they talk to the people that love him, he said, well, yeah, but look at the economy. Look at the jobs that are being created. Oh, look at, the, look at the, the stock market. And there's that, there's that great line from, in the, I think it's from the Apostle Paul, where he says, what good do, do it a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And I thought, isn't that interesting how we measure and, it, and it's not a, I'm not saying that from judgment. I just understand the motivation. The more I have, the more I can, the more hoarding I have, the, better, the safer I'll feel. We just watched that movie, All the Money in the World. Anybody seen that? J. J. Paul Getty, richest man up to that point. It's a remarkable story based on the kidnapping of his grandson. He wasn't going to pay no ransom because it would cost him money. And he said, well, how much money do you need? And his answer was, More. Billions, billions. But see, with the, with, and, and so I'm so grateful that he's modeling that for me and understanding it so I can look and go, not, not for me. Bless you, wish you well with that. I'm not, I'm not here to do his soul's agenda. But I'm here to, to, to monitor how I live and how I move forward. And I know that staying centered in the truth of my own being is the most precious thing for me. As Dr. Holmes said, when we're not centered, aware, or conscious of what's going on around us, and more often than not, the culprit is that we're not acting from our heart and our spirit. Instead of, uh, instead of we are re- reacting from our needs, our hurts, from our buttons being pushed, or the way that we take care of others and not ourselves, in that way we're reacting from our shadow. Years ago, I was an aspiring actor. I went to Los Angeles. I had $200 in my pocket when I got there. And uh, that was my dream. I wanted to be an actor. I loved And I had, so you talk about emotion. What took me there was I needed a place to pour out all this emotion because you didn't do that where I grew up. You just didn't have that opportunity and I needed that outlet. And then what I had to do was I had to find ways to bring that into balance with the head. And this teaching gave me that gift. But I kept, I kept saying to my practitioner or my minister, I can't do this. It means I've got to be aware of everything I think, do, and say. Yes. I'm like, I can't do that. I'm too busy feeling everything. So there's hope. I did a, uh, years ago, I was in an acting class, and they casted the, this play in the acting class. And so I was cast as the, uh, the best friend of the lead in the play. And it was a young guy. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy or not, but his name was Patrick Swayze. Anybody know Patrick? Yeah. Buddy. We called him Buddy. And so I met Buddy, and he was just this handsome, he, I mean, you know, I don't play for that team, but I'll tell you, he was one gorgeous guy. And, and, and so he comes walking in, and he'd been on Broadway, and he'd been trained as an act, a dancer and an actor, and he was absolutely obsessed with being successful, driven, 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 driven. Couldn't talk about anything but himself. I just, oh, you know, it was his last audition. What's on the horizon? I mean, he had it going on. But through his whole career, and I watched him and stayed, I didn't stay in touch with him. I, we, we, were, we, were, we got to be very close, but you know, you lose touch with people. He's off doing his thing, I was off doing my thing. But he was such a good teacher for me because it was never enough. When are you going to feel good about yourself? Wow, one more job. 
You know, he was on People Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive. You know, it didn't bring him any relief. I mean, we, we would tease him about it. I used to be driving along in my old pickup truck, going to a job to fix a door or do something, and, I could, and he was in a DeLorean, like from uh, Back to the Future. He had a silver DeLorean, and, and, and all the windows were black. And then we were at the inter, when we were at the intersection waiting, he'd, I'd see the window go down, and then this, this very tan, muscular arm would reach up and go like this at me. You know, he'd wave over at me, and I knew who it was because then he'd tuck his arm back in and shut the window. But I have such sweet memories of him, but I always felt such a, and this is my own projection, I always felt the sadness about how, how important it was for him that all of the, the, things that, the things that made him feel good about himself were, all had to come from the outside. And so in Derek Rydell's book, The Emergence, he talks about, oh, wrong book, picking up the Ernest Holmes thing again here. Um, he talks about being on the 405 freeway. Now, I lived on the 405 freeway for 27 years. And there's, you could be on the 405 freeway for, it seemed like days. What I learned to do was get books on tape. This is back in the cassette tape days, or in CDs eventually. But you could listen, you could hit, read a whole book sitting there waiting for traffic to move. It was a fantastic place. It was a library. Turned it into a library. And he talks about his experience on the 405. They're all backed up one day. And he said, I looked around and he said, I didn't know anybody, but I hated them. I hated all of them. Where the hell is everybody going? My dad used to say that every time he'd come to LA, I'd get him in the car and we'd be on the 405. Where the hell is everybody going? Don't these people have jobs? Don't they have lives? Every time my dad came. But he said all of a sudden he'd, he found that magic moment. He found the tool that was the breakthrough for him. He found that moment when he said he started singing the Beatles song, Let It Be. And he said he sang it like Elton John, he sang it like Freddie Mercury. He sang it, he said he sang it in, in ways so loud and off key that it, no human being should ever have an opportunity to hear what he was singing. But he said in that moment, a gap opened up for him. And he said two things happened. He said, number one, he took back control of his inner reality to attempt to feel better regardless of the outer conditions, regardless even of his mental and emotional momentum. So he took back, in other words, how he felt about things. He knew it was an inner activity. It wasn't informed by traffic. He said, number two, he took his attention off his mental purgatory and threw himself into the present moment. And in that space, a gap was created. And in that gap, all the fruits of the work he had been doing were finally able to emerge. So he'd been on this personal development path for years, years and years and years. And he realized it's a present moment experience. And that he was allowing the outside conditions of his life to inform whether it was good or bad, right or wrong. It's crazy making. So he said he entered a zone. He said because his state of being was independent of his state of having. So how are you having your life? How are you having your life? Is the question. And he realized that feeling good was entirely up to him. He said, there's a greater peace, joy, freedom, and fulfillment in me. I had let my outer circumstances become my master, and he stopped doing that. He didn't have any particular goal except to create a better feeling within myself. I mean, Esther Hicks writes about this all the time, doesn't she? She always says, reach for the better thought. Reach, reach for the better feeling. There's no, there's no secret around this. 
He said, I was no longer praying, I was being prayed. Something was moving through him. That presence, that divine presence. That Christ consciousness, that Buddha nature, that, that, that has been described in many ways, that has launched traditions. That's our opportunity. I was no longer praying, I was being prayed. I realized I could be in heaven in the midst of what seemed like hell. Most people on the freeway were in a traffic jam. I was flying above it. I was flying in an abundant, joy-filled life that had been in me forever. It already was me. So it already lives in us. It's already there. How do we access it? How do we open the door? How do we reveal it? As Dr. Gary Simmons said when he was with us and coaching us on the queue last time he was here, it requires some cleanup. It requires go back and look at the cleanup. It requires the forgiveness work of, my, of self and others. We have, uh, Laura and I, uh, we, we sort of decorate our front yard each year and we plant a lot of flowers and we put hanging baskets up and it's quite lovely. And we brought back from China this 22-inch Chinese warrior. We bought it. We went to the Terracotta Warriors. We had this beautiful little warrior that we put out there. It was standing there and then we have this little Buddha on one side and the warrior on the other. And I walked out the door the other day and I said, hey, what happened to the warrior and to the Buddha? And somebody had come along and, and taken the warrior and the Buddha. And I got to tell you, I had to write a cue sheet on it. I had Because it triggered, I was, I was not a happy camper. I've had those little guys for a long time. And what I realized is, this doesn't determine your value. This is just stuff. And so when I did the cue sheet and I rescripted it, because that's what you do, those of you that have done the cue, you, you rescript it in a way. So has this come along to shine a light on something that needs healing? Yeah. I'm too attached to this stuff. And here I am preparing this talk and somebody took off with my Buddha and my, uh, so. If you see a little 22-inch black Buddha, and, uh, let me know. We'll go over and talk to that person. All I know is that somebody needed that more than, than we needed it. And part of, part of it is, there's all kinds of lessons in that, but I realized that my attachment to it, but I didn't want to stay bitter or resentful about that. That's life. People, we live in a world where people take stuff that doesn't belong to them. Have you noticed that? Anybody here locked their front door before they came down here today? I like those uh, people that they, in the States, they mail the people the tickets for the Super Bowl, and while the people are at the Super Bowl, the moving band backs up to their house, and they take everything they own, all that stuff. I mean, there are people that think this stuff through. It, see, those kind of things never occur to me, but I realize that, that just because I feel a certain way and operate a certain way doesn't mean everybody will. And I'm not going to, I was disappointed in losing the little trinkets. I'm not going to let them continue to, to influence my life and my state of being. But I, had, I was so grateful to have a process so I didn't stay stuck in it. I get to write about this. What did this come to show me? And also part of having stuff is stewardship. Next time I'm cementing those things down if I ever get them again. <laughs> Which I probably won't. So, the other piece of this, and this is a wonderful chapter in his book, Emergence. It's called the chapter on coherence. Cultivating congruent conditions. But in the back, he talks about the one-minute mystic. So the one-minute mystic talks about rituals. Oh, yeah, let me flesh that out with you. To have some rituals, we have to, we have to create, I, I believe. So when I say have to, it's, it's imperative, it's important that we create the environment, cultivate the environment for success. 
we have to have an environment around us that will allow us to learn, to grow, to live in infinite possibility. It's one of the reasons that we've been so committed to this, um, this process of um, the queue and spirit groups. We have to create the environment for success. And he writes in here about these different aspects of practice that we can utilize. And I want to share them with you because they're really wonderful. You can take a picture of them if you'd like. So first of all, before you get out of bed, Joe Dispenza writes about this too, before you get out of bed, take a minute to connect with your breath. Just observe it moving in and out. And if your mind begins to chatter, tell it you'll be with it shortly. And then bring your attention back to the breath. Instead of saying, good God, it's morning, try, good morning, God. Give thanks for everything in your life and then put your feet on the floor. Find some things to generate. Because what it does, it puts us into that coherent state. Gratitude is the language. It's the immediate language of the infinite. I'm so grateful. I got up this morning and I'm, you know, I've been working with this material and I, I got out of the shower and I thought, look, it's somebody designed this thing to dry my hair so I don't have to run out in the cold with wet hair. And so I use that as a, a point of, of gratitude. That, you know, somebody spent the time, energy, and effort so that I can have this. And then built enough of them so that the price point was where I could, I could afford one. Anytime when you bathe or shower, and we do this in Abhijanya with John of God as well, you go down to the sacred waterfall and the water washes through you and, and over you to cleanse you. Well, anytime you bathe or shower, take a minute to notice the water against your skin, the sensations, the sound. Stay in your body in the present moment instead of drifting into the future to make plans or into the past to fantasize that you won that argument. As your body is cleansed, affirm that the mental, emotional debris is washing away as well. At meals, take a minute to appreciate the aroma and flavor of your food and give thanks for its fueling your body. For a longer contemplation, consider the origins of your meal. It's progress to your table. These ingredients were probably gathered on a farm, delivered by a truck driver, stocked by a grocer. The whole idea of seeds. Whenever you're driving or in mass transit, when you reach a stop, take a moment to watch your breath and give thanks for the harmony of the universe and how it's reflected in the way the traffic lights, the streets, the the subways create order in the chaos. When you think about the organization required to manage the massive flow of people and traffic, it's miraculous we ever get anywhere. Honor elimination. Oh, wait, bless your work. Bless your work. When you sit down at work, bless it. Give thanks. If it's the right and perfect job for you, you're adding value. If it isn't, you'll be moved out to the right and perfect work for you. This is how life works. Because you'll know. When you use the restroom, take a minute to give thanks for how your body eliminates what no longer serves and affirm that your heart and mind are doing the same. When you watch television, pause during commercial breaks, make your life-enhancing ideas the commercial that you watch. Have it next to you. Pull it up, pause it. Read your life. Hey, I'm I'm going to write my own commercial for myself. This is who I've come here to be. Pull your cue card up if you don't have one. And if you'd like a cue card, we can get that that paperwork to you if you'd like to have it without going through the training. The training is phenomenal, but it's good to have a cue card. Who have you come here to be? Every hour or so throughout your day, stop for one minute to check in, breathe, reconnect, and give thanks for life. And then go back to what you're engaged in. This is the foundational practice of the one-minute mystic. 
And before you fall asleep, affirm that your mind and body are renewed while you rest and that you will awaken more inspired than ever before. So some beautiful suggestions to do in moments that help ground us and and step back into that coherent field of love, beauty, joy, possibility, opportunity. We have in this training with the, um, the Q facilitation, talk in there about meaningful ritual, to have meaningful ritual in our lives. And they talk about the labyrinth, which is really wonderful. The labyrinth is a very, very meaningful ritual, and it's inspired me to do a labyrinth uh, event here for people that have never experienced the labyrinth. The ra- labyrinth is a walking meditation. It comes from the Renaissance in, uh, in, in uh, Europe. Ours is a copy of the Chartres Labyrinth. And the labyrinth came about because it got too da- dangerous for the, for the Christians to go to the, to the uh, Middle East because of the Crusades and too expensive. And so they started putting labyrinths in to represent the crusade, or the journey, the pilgrimage. So the labyrinth represents the walk-in is the purgation, it's the cleansing. When you reach the center, it's the idea of illumination, the insight and awareness. And then on the walk back out is the walk-in union. And so to have moments in our lives, and you can find this with a finger finger labyrinth. The, The brain doesn't know whether you're walking it or you're tracing it. But there's wonderful rituals to have. Once the rituals become routine, they lose their juice. So to keep them fresh and wonderful and the practices. So we have our, our opportunity. What's ours to do? What is God's idea for your life? What is, what is happening here for you and through you and as you? So I want to just share with you real quickly our updates, some of the stuff that's happening in the community. We're launching our spirit groups We've got some wonderful people that have stepped up and host, and we're going to continue to nurture that and give, give uh, energy to that because it's really important for us to connect and to be together and to watch one another and to support one another as we struggle or we go off the rails. And when we're, 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 we're struggling to find our way, we need one another. We need community. That, you know, it's so funny. We long for community, and yet most of our churches are sitting empty now in other traditions. Because people are not being fed when they go. And people are not being called up to a, 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 a more beautiful way of being. Our Q facilitators, we have eight people in this community committed to and going through right now our Q facilitation training. It's inspiring. And we have a group phone call. We do a, a Zoom call and we talk about things. We talk about our challenges. And there's ways we check in and there's amazing videos and things that are happening. It's a wonderful thing and, and, and we're, we're on our way there. We'll have some Q facilitators trained uh, here in June. Our teen program. Last week, the teens did this uh, Sunday service. I heard from a number of people that, yeah. Awesome. Part of the vision that we have with this community, and our, we have a 15-year strategic plan, is to have a youth minister, to have an assistant minister, to have programs that make a difference in the world. I think what we do is really important because we do honor all traditions here. And to, to come alive with that in our lives, to be a blessing upon the planet, to reflect what Dr. Holmes held so precious, that he did, wasn't biased by the, the status quo of 
belief, entrenched belief in rules and regulations. He was, he was inspired by the heart. And he knew that if we're connected with our heart, we're connected to good. And good is another name for God. And to live, and so Dr. Holmes said that the Christ is born wherever the divine meets the human. That is what Christ means. The, Christed, the term Christed didn't even exist until the fourth century. It means the anointed one. And you and I can be and live from the anointing. And today, we're going to do our, our great cup raffle. If you've got your ticket in, we, 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 we picked the first two tickets at the first service. This is the second uh, wave of that. So if uh, you want to stick with us, I guess we'll do that right after our offering today. So I thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being part of this today. Know that your energy and support at that unseen level of good is blessing people in ways we can't even imagine. That prayer is a very, very powerful activity. And it is the consciousness upon the prayer that makes the difference. So thank you, blessings, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. And so it is.